Hey everybody, welcome to the Full Frame uh, Podcast. You just oh. uh, just uh, take, stop and take it from the top one more time. Okay, okay, you ready? Hey guys, welcome to the Full Frame Podcast. This week I was joined via Skype from LA by Brendan Steer and Greg Cohen. We talked all about their delightful film, The Velocipaster. We talked all about the making of the film and um, about their start in filmmaking, so give it a listen. Guys, thanks for joining me. I appreciate having you both here uh, over uh, Skype, which we finally worked out. <laughs> no problem. Um, so, uh, yeah, thanks for joining me. Th- this is a week of release, basically. It hasn't been quite a week since release, correct? Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. correct. How's it been going so far? Ooh, I mean, it's been a lot. <laughs> it's been um, in, in a good way. It's just, you know... This is sort of what we've been working for for the last, um, Christ, three years. So it's just, it's a lot to handle, not just attention-wise, but also emotionally on some level. Mm -hmm. It's just a big big relief that people can finally just click and watch it. Totally. Well, uh, I want to get to all that, um, but kind of just to start, um, Brendan, uh, can I just get, like, where are you from? How did you get into filmmaking um, and then uh, I'll, I'll pick up uh, just after that with you, Greg. Same questions. Sure. Yeah, for sure. Um, well, I'm from Montana originally. Uh, I lived there until I was uh, young, something like six-ish. And then I moved to Pennsylvania, where I went to high school and all of that. Um, it was during that time that definitely I got interested in filmmaking. I, I mean, I used to shoot videos and stuff in the backyard of my friends. It was just you know, something you did to hang out. And uh, after a while, I realized I just liked doing that more than anyone else. Hmm. And so I I knew I had an interest in it. But then when I was like 14-ish, I saw Reservoir Dogs. Hmm. And that sort of cemented everything for me. All of a sudden, I was like, oh, okay, that's what I want to do. And so then I, I went to college in New York City to the School of Visual Arts. And then, uh, yeah, you know, lived in New York, L.A., Berlin, and now I'm back in L.A. Wow. Okay, so that was very quick. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, we can dive in a little bit more um, in a second. But, uh, Greg, same question for you. How, how did you get into to acting and to, into filmmaking? I, I'm familiar with – you're doing both, correct? Y- y- um, well, yeah. I mean, I'll get into the acting first. Okay. Um, I, I – Grew up in Farmingdale, New York, eastern end of Nassau County in Long Island. And uh, I was always kind of like, I always wanted to like perform and like I was always in chorus or band or like some kind of performing arts. But I was also like playing a lot of sports too. And that eventually kind of took over, um, you know, playing football and lacrosse. So I went to college in upstate New York, played lacrosse up there uh, at a small school, small liberal arts school called Hartwick College on Oyaran Hill in Oneonta, New York. And um, I had a guy on my lacrosse team that was a theater major, a director. And uh, I was always like goofing off uh, at parties and like trying to be the center of attention. And uh, one night I uh, like sang uh, lead vocals at a cover band that we played at a party. And everyone was kind of like, whoa, where did that come from? And Brian, Brian Roy, his name was, he was like, you got to come audition for my place. And uh, I was like, all right, I'll do it. And I I went and uh, I got cast in like two of his plays uh, throughout like the next year. 
and I just loved it. Um, I was able to make it work with like, you know, playing lacrosse and going to school and, you know, doing theater on the side. And then, uh, then I got out of school and I, you know, got a, a day job. I, I, I just like pursuing the career, uh, pursuing an acting career was always, it was always there. And I remember like when I couldn't get like a full-time job, I would start to be like, man, maybe I should just really just go be a fucking actor. Mm-hmm. You know, like this fucking corporate shit isn't working out for me. Nobody's saying yes to my resume. Like maybe I should just go do what I actually want to do, but I didn't have any money. I wasn't about to like beg my parents. They were not about to like help me pay for college and then be like, yeah, sure. Go to go be an actor. Mm-hmm. No way. Right. So, uh, I eventually, um, got a job and, uh, in billboard advertising. I was in, in advertising sales and, uh, it was very fruitful for me. So I got to like, I made good money and I, all the money that I had, I used it on acting classes and like got back into plays. I had a buddy in college that I also played lacrosse with that was like, Hey man, we need someone to say this one line in a play. Uh, Hmm. will you do it? And I was like, yeah, I'll do it. Let's do it. I was in a black box theater play for like, you know, four weeks, you know, you didn't, how those you didn't ask what the line was. Um, <laughs> I don't even know if I remember what it was, but I was like, <laughs> yeah, the play was called Bix Biter Bix last drunk. And it was about like, a, a jazz band and this jazz musician that dies mysteriously one night. And it's about, uh, his last night. And I played the drummer in the jazz band. Uh, and I just say one line, don't even remember what it was. Uh, but like, <laughs> af- yeah, after I did that, I was like, yo, I'm into this. I'm doing this. I got Sanford Meisner's on acting, read that. Uh, and I was like, okay, I'm going to look for Meisner acting classes. I looked for Meisner acting classes, got ones that worked for my schedule. Cause I worked nine to six or seven o'clock every day. And then I just like started hitting classes like crazy, then auditioning for plays. Um, and then, you know, started getting into like, uh, I met people through classes that were working on stuff. I met a guy named Nick Hetherington. I don't know if you know Nick, Zach. You might, but um, it sounds familiar. He, him and his wife. His wife created a TV. I met him in an acting class at the Acting Studio Inc. Uh, and his wife um, created a TV show for Nick Jr. called Team Umizumi, and they were having an open call, and I went to it, and. Uh, I, they called me after the audition and they were like, you're on hold for two roles. And I was like, what? I was like, Nick, I called Nick. I was like, Nick, what does that mean? I don't even know what on hold means. Uh, and they were like, he was like, just don't go anywhere, mate. Just don't go anywhere. And I was like, (laughs) all right, cool. And then, uh, I got booked on that. They told me I should get into voiceover too. Uh, I started getting into voiceover and then I started making money as an actor and like voiceover commercials. TV, film, and uh, I quit my job, and I've been doing it since. That's awesome. That's awesome, man. Well, you happen to be in the right place for it. And I'm, I'm curious, like, you're both uh, – well, Greg, you, you grew up in upstate New York, but uh, – I grew, I grew up in Long Island, but I went in to Long school Island. in Long um, Island. Correct. So was it always for, – question for both of you. Was it always a question of going to New York, like the city, to continue to do the thing? Because you both ended up here. Um, uh, or was there ever like a, before you went West coast, was there ever just like just to the West coast? 
Uh, no, I always wanted to do New York first. Um, well, I, I mean, just by the nature of your occupation, you have to basically be in New York or L.A. if you want to work in American movies. Um, there, there, I mean, there are some other viable options, but, I mean, you know, effectively, that's your binary choice. Do you want to be East Coast or West Coast? So I, I did East Coast at first to just be closer to my parents. I mean, I was like 18 years old. So I was sort of like, yeah, I might need them. <laughs> and uh, after a while, it was just uh, the logical thing to move out West. Um, they're interesting. They're different. Uh, I don't know if I have one I prefer, to be honest. But uh, there are aspects of both I quite enjoy. Hmm. And what yeah, about you, I. I, uh, growing up, you know, we would like visit New York City at least twice a year, like big family, tri- well, not big, big family trips, just like my mom, my dad, my sister and I, we would like visit New York every holiday season and then once or twice in the summer or like go see a Broadway play or something. My Nana brought me to my first Broadway play. Uh, and like, uh, ever since then I was always like, I gotta be in New York. I love like the hustle here. I love like the grit. Uh, I was like, I got to be in New York City. And it wasn't even about like performing arts. It was just like, I I don't care what happens. I'm going to be a New Yorker. And uh, I did. Uh, And it just so happens that I was like, I really want to act here. Because like when I was working at that day job, not only was I taking money uh, and using it for classes, but I was able to like go see a ton of shows, a ton of plays, Mm -hmm. Broadway plays. And like I was not looking to like be in a relationship. So I was like every you know, every chance I got every Friday, Saturday night, I would do like rush tickets just cause like I had the time on my hands. Uh, I would, I would get standing room only for any of the plays. Um, you know, sometimes I would like treat myself and sit fucking 10th row. Uh, but like, uh, yeah, most of the time I was just like, let me see if I can get a ticket. Let me see if I can get a ticket and just go see as much as I could either, either Broadway, downtown, anything. Uh, I would just go by myself. Um, so I, you know, I was always drawn to New York. It just so happens that like, I really found my passion for acting while in New York. And I was like seeing all these other actors on stage in New York that are now, you know, famous TV actors. And I was just like, I want to be a New York actor. I always thought I wanted to be a New York actor. And then I I never really thought about LA. I was never like, I'm never going to, I I was kind of like, I'm never gonna move to the West coast, but you know, I, fell in love with Corey and Corey, we got engaged and she was like, um, now I want to move to California. I was like, Oh, uh, okay. Um, let's do that. So we figured out, we figured out a way to do it. Every time I kept coming out here, I kept meeting people and like, uh, just kind of building a base here. And I was committed to building that base here. And like last night was a testament because like we had a screening at the arena cine lounge that was packed and it was like people that, you know, between Brendan and my friends, it's like people that I've known in the last year here, you know? So, uh, I never, I don't even know what your question was, but I don't know (laughs) if I, I don't even know if I prefer one or the other, just like Brendan said, I think they're two completely different cities that offer two completely different things, Mm -hmm. Uh, but I love them both and I love it here so far. Mm -hmm. No, and it's a conversation I like to have because, um, I like talking, you know, any kind of like indie film scene that just happens to be like, we, we go to these places, but while we're in New York, while we're in LA, like we're not immediately like, okay, now we're in the film industry. It's like, you have to create the thing yourself. So, 
um, that's that's why I ask is, um, you know, why New York? And then um, how do you kind of get started? So, Brendan, how was it that you, besides school, like, um, what was it that, like, revved the engine to get the first couple features and shorts made? Was it, were they assignments or were was it just, like, your own will? Yeah, I, I mean, it's interesting because it's a bit of both. Mostly, I will say my own will. Um, assignments in film school, I always thought of more as suggestions, <laughs> where it's kind of like, look, they're asking you to make, you know, if, if the criteria to make the short film is that it has to be two minutes and no dialogue, well, that can be anything. So mm -hmm. just make something that you wanted to make anyway and just make it fit into the little assignment box. Um, do you have a script with, like, a little dialogue? Just cut out the dialogue. Tell it visually. There's your assignment. And you still get to shoot the thing you wanted to. Mm. I will say the big appeal of SVA in specific for me was that they were relatively lenient with their equipment. So uh, I would just constantly go there and take out the equipment just to make my own things, just because I wanted to. Mm. I figured that, um, you know, it was always my thought that any any artist, regardless of medium, um, has shitty work in them. And it's sort of like, <laughs> I, I think that the appeal of film school in a lot of ways, besides meeting people and making contacts, isn't really what you learn from classes. It, it, it can occasionally be helpful and interesting. I'm not saying I learned nothing at school. That, that's ludicrous. But, you know, I'll be honest, 75% of it you can get from DVD commentaries. That's not the point. The hmm. point is to utilize the space as a safe space to fuck up a lot. <laughs> so just keep getting well, the equipment, well keep shooting, shooting, shooting. And so, like, you know, I don't know, I probably made five to ten shorts a year. And it's hmm. sort of like, like, you know, because the equipment was free. So it was, I mean, I paid for it through tuition, but you didn't have to pay every time you needed it. So why not use it and mm -hmm. get those shitty films out of your system so that when it matters, you're good enough to do it. And so that was my that was my ethic from day one. And it kind of paid off. The uh, the first feature I did, um, Animosity, was my film school thesis. I didn't expect to sell it. I just wanted to go for a feature because they were discouraging students from doing that. And I'm uh, cocky, so so I wanted to be the per like I wanted to be like the one dude that went for feature that year, and that was just basically it. Was that you know, Dead the, by Dawn? Uh, it was actually oh god, I forgot, I forgot I, I had made a feature beforehand. You were right, <laughs> Dead by Dawn. I did in high school. Um, I, I consider it a little apocryphal, but yes, in fact, <laughs> I did make that movie. <laughs> Um, no, this was, a uh, this was called Animosity. This is okay. like 2014 ish, 2013, 2014. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, yeah, what ended up happening is I just made it to prove to myself I could make a real feature. I, well, actually the other part of the thought process is I had made Dead by Dawn the summer before I went to college. And I thought it would be an interesting compare and contrast to make a feature the last part of college. Oh, that's fascinating. Um, yeah, and I, I just wanted to do it for me. Like I said, I didn't know, I did not think I was going to sell it. I just wanted to do it. And so we did end up selling it. And, um, you know, that was a, I don't know that I just, I am just somebody that loves to create. Like, I, I don't, I don't even really examine why all that much in myself anymore. I just know that if it, if I have to write a song, it's time to write a song. If I have to write a movie, it's time to write a movie. 
if I got to write, you, you know, my Mad Men fan fiction, time to do that. It just, it'll come out, it'll come out in any way it, it's supposed to. I have never seen Mad Men. And Wait, but have you written Mad Men fan fiction? I have never seen Mad Men. I oh, literally, right. uh, no, I have not. Let's get on that. <laughs> yeah. yeah that's, that's the next project. Uh, to, uh, the next project we make will be an adaptation of my Mad Men fan fiction. <laughs> Once I have watched Mad Men. <laughs> uh, so look out for that in 2025. <laughs> I love it. Um, yeah. So I guess um, what lessons or differences, besides just like a technical, I'm sure, evolution, did you see? What changes did you see from uh, Dead by Dawn to Animosity? The writing was un- unspeakably better. Um, and the acting. Dead by Dawn, I cast mostly with my friends, and, you know, Animosity, I cast real actors. You hire actors because they have a set of skills you do not, and it's it, that just pays off immensely. The best part about Animosity is the lead performance, and I take very little credit for that. Tracy is just an unspeakably talented human. So, first and foremost, uh, the the acting. Second of all, the script just felt... The dialogue, I should say, just felt so much better. You just hear different kinds of people talk more. You learn how to write dialogue correctly in those trial-by-fire years in school. Because you just, like I said before, the more you shoot, the more you start noticing the awkwardness of things. Mm -hmm. And you, there's no feeling like that first time you make something that you're like, you... It, it just evokes an emotional reaction. And not one of shock, but like a genuine emotional reaction in somebody. And so once you start figuring out how to do that, it just adds more tools to your repertoire to kind of build out from there. It You know, filmmaking is iterative and cumulative. It, the film you make tomorrow is probably better than the one you make today. So mm. it, it's uh, at least for a while. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, I, I think that, they are truly like like night and day. I had just improved so, so much in that time. And part of it, I think, was just time. I just got older. You're a little more mature. Mm-hmm. And uh, Greg, what about you? Like, uh, As an artist, as an actor, what kind of lessons were you learning doing voice roles to doing like onstage theater? Like you, you said you started with just like a one-line performance. Were, were there moments where you felt like um, you'd made the wrong choice or was it all just like the more you did it the better it felt the more talented um, or like uh, skilled you got the you know and I'm, I'm still doing that i'm still doing that now i'm mm-hmm. still like you know i don't think this is the type of profession where you just get and maybe you do but i know it's not going to be the path for me where you just like get to a point and you're like yeah i know everything i need to know mm-hmm. it's just not it's just not how it works and that's not really what makes it fun. What makes it fun is discovering the things that you don't know and learning the, you know, parameters and the the margins of what you can and can't do and how you kind of push those margins and, and explore new areas. Um, but when I started out, it, it was really just that, like finding out, it was really just being bad, man. It was like mm. being, being bad. It was like starting out and being bad. I remember like um, I remember the first, I remember the first few things that I like did that made me feel like, 
one of the first auditions I went on. Uh, I don't know. It was just like a play that was posted at Shetler Studios that I was like, I'm going to go audition for this. I'm going to learn a monologue and I'm going to go audition. And I remember doing the monologue and it was more about just like memorizing a chunk of dialogue that much and not so much about like actually being truthful. Hmm. And I just remember like speeding through it like I was on cocaine uh, just to like get through it. And the look on the director's face when I was done, he was just like, like someone just like, I don't know. I don't know. He was, it was like <laughs> horror and shock and all just like, okay, uh, well, you, I'll let you, you know. stunned yeah. him. <laughs> I stunned him. Exactly. He looked like he was stunned. Did you just repeat uh, the one line from the first play over and over? That's and over? All, that was my monologue. <laughs> <laughs> but like 40 times in a row in real times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, they said the most important thing is to make an impression. So. Perfect diction, though. Perfect diction. <laughs> oh, Lord. But um, yeah, I, I will say, not, not to interrupt Greg, but to oh. Greg's point, um, being bad is the point of something like film school or acting classes. Like, I feel like people mm. don't totally internalize that's part of the process. But yeah, to get good at something, you've got to suck at it for a long time. Mm. That's part of it. And I, I think that a lot of people are scared of that and will demonize that part of the process because nobody wants to make something bad, not genuinely. Um it, it, it's like somebody waking up and being like, I'll be evil today. Like, nobody does that. <laughs> um, but you just gotta... I, I think environments like classes in school really give you a good, safer place to to suck for a long time. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, that, that's, that was my point. I agree with Greg on that. Um, what were some... Can you talk about uh, maybe projects that you swept under the rug that uh, you learned a big lesson from me either of you um i'm thinking we, there are like projects <laughs> projects we swept under the rug that we were just like too embarrassed of to really take ownership of oh yeah um, um, that's something that you maybe learned from that helped yes, you yeah uh well, honestly, I mean, we touched on one earlier. Dead by Dawn was like that for me. Mm. I, I remember the first time I saw a full assembly of it, I was so disappointed in myself. Mm. I was just like, this sucks. Like, this is bad. And this is not enjoyable bad. It's just... It was at that awkward crossroads of amateurish and starting to get a little professional. Um, and yeah, it, it taught me... It, it it taught me a lot of things, mostly that like filmmaking is fun, but there are parts of this that you really have to be confident enough in yourself and your vision to get help. You can't do everything yourself and trying to do so is in uh, that that kind of takes the fun out of it. Part of the fun of making films is collaborating with people mm -hmm. and seeing what ideas they have. Um, I don't know. It, it was each one you do do learn stuff from. One other specific example I can point to that's even more concrete than Dead by Dawn is uh, people can actually watch my freshman thesis film. It's called Monster. It's not very good. Um, and the two <laughs> things I learned from it are, hey, shoot with sync sound. You might think it's really cool and Italian to dub everything over afterwards. But man, is that the worst? Don't do that. <laughs> and um, I also learned that from that movie... People will 
pretty much do whatever you ask them on a film set. So be careful, <laughs> like be careful with these people's safety. Like, mm. um, I, I, to clarify, uh, we shot that in, I think January and I had two actors submerge themselves up over their head in water in a frozen lake. And they did it. They did it because I asked them. And, and it's like, now I look back on that and I'm like, what the fuck were you doing? <laughs> they could have been really hurt. Uh-huh. But y- y- it was an important lesson in, in sort of like, if people believe in you, they will, it-, it is a both positive and negative lesson. But it's if you inspire confidence in your crew, they will follow you hmm. anywhere. And and that is, um, you know, something you have to be mindful of, bo- both as a positive and negative thing. And uh, so, yeah, that that is what I learned from that. People can watch it online. It ain't very good, but it sure does look nice. So, <laughs> so yeah. I worked mostly in theater to start. Uh, and when I say worked, I was like, I was doing it all for free. So, mm-hmm. and it was, uh, those are things, that's the difference between film and theater. Like, film is uh, forever. And, you know, theater, I don't have to swipe you know, sweep anything under the rug, it kind of just blows away and it mm. goes into the past. And like you, you take what you learn and you forget all the stuff and the drama that went along with it. You know, you learn something from every project, just like Brendan said, um, you know, would I want to go back and see any of those theater performances to like see how I could improve today? No, because I'm like, I'm just kind of completely different now than I was, you know, almost 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. I want to see those theater. Yeah, you, yeah, you do. Yeah, you do. What was <laughs> cool about what was, what was cool oh, about a lot, what was cool about a lot of the stuff I got to do at, in in New York doing black box indie theater was like uh, only a handful of them were things that I would get like typecasted as today. You know, or like just that, just even even in if I were like really pursuing TV hard in New York, they were like that. Uh, there were things that I got to do that were kind of that involved like makeup and you know prosthetics and things that were like that were kind of outside of uh, what I would typically get seen at. Like if I just walked into a room and someone is like, "Oh yeah, that guy plays like." Uh, you know, a young cop or like a blue collar worker or like a, when he dresses up in a suit, he's a douchebag. Like those are the things, <laughs> those are the things that I get, you know, when I first started out and what I can do, what I get typecasted as now. But I really got to do a lot of like farcical stuff in mm. on stage. I got to do a lot of like slapsticky. Uh, I did. I played a bell. I played the bell hop and lend me a tenor. And like I auditioned for the lead role in that. But they were like, do you want to do the bell hop? I was like, I've never really done anything like that. But that was one of those moments that was like, oh, shit, this is hard. And I have to, like, learn how to do something. And I I worked my fucking ass off with it. I would, like, call people. I would call restaurants in New York uh, and make reservations with, like, a a bellhop accent. I would, you know, talk about like this. I'd be like, I'll take a dinner for two at 4 p.m. And they're just, like, you know, just, like, messing around with things to play with. And, like, you know, was it the best production of Lend Me a Tenor ever? Uh, who knows? I don't, you know, it was like basically community theater, mm-hmm. but you got to go and play and try things in a safe space. Yeah. What was the first, uh, TV gig for you, Greg? And what were some of the learning lessons there? That was, uh, that uh, the first TV thing I did was, okay. The first, 
uh, first, uh, live action, I should say. Um, the, the first ever um, live action, like, as a, like film or TV? Yeah, um, yeah, any, any like TV film, um, just like you're actually on camera. Um, the, first thing, the first thing I ever did was a, I heard that Boardwalk Empire needed extras, mm. background. So I, I was like, I've never done that. Uh, I got a picture taken and I sent it in and they used me for a day. And I like, I got on camera on that. I was like sweating my ass off and, you know, uh, but that was an experience being on set. And like, it was the pilot episode. Wow. So I got to, I was like within, you know, 50 yards of Martin Scorsese. And like, mm-hmm. he was directing the episode uh, from underneath a tent because it was August in upstate New York and it was hot as fuck. And we were in like turtleneck sweaters because we were, um, prohibition agents in training. So mm. people are like firing guns. And it, we were in the opening shot of like this whole, uh, like this setting, this, this, the, this like, uh, military, I guess it was like, uh, like a, a tra- it was a training facility. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we were like jogging down this corridor and I'm like one of the second people in line and they just like locked on my face. And if I go and look back at that, I'm just like, mean mugging so hard like looking like a tough guy and it's like oh god this guy's never acted a day in his life so (laughs) like not truthful so um but then i did that team umizumi show Mm -hmm. um and that's where i like really got to play and just like be a goof uh when they when they told me what role i was going to do for that the first one that they booked me on uh it was a court jester and i was like oh no court jester um, that's not like blue collar white guy or, or, hmm. you know, or young cop. I call my buddy Alan and I was like, Hey man, they want to book me as the court jester. Is this like going to ruin my career? And he goes, dude, what career? And I was <laughs> yeah. like, oh, fuck, right. Okay. So I booked, the, <laughs> yeah. I, I booked the court jester. I put on those tights and I did my, you know, donkey kick dance. And, uh, I said my, I, I, I played the court jester. And I'm proud of that shit because it's still like playing in it's still playing on Nick Jr. And like nice. all my friends, all my friends who are having kids now are like, you know, watching Team Umizumi with their two and three year olds. And I come up in a court jester costume. Out of- <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Um, well, uh, let's. Um, so I was going to ask, um, uh, Greg, you touched on like uh, roles that you get kind of typecast this. Is there. Um, I have a question for each of you. Is there a certain type of role that you think you have a proclivity for? And then, Brendan, do you think uh, you gravitated towards horror for a certain reason? Uh, yeah. I, I, I definitely will say that um, I think it's some kind of Freudian bullshit, to be honest with you. I, I hated, I was terrified of horror movies until I was like 14 or 15. Mm. And then all of a sudden it was just a switch flipped and I couldn't get enough of them. Um, and so I just devoured everything in sight. Uh, I think that part of the reason that I gravitate towards horror so much is that it is almost uniquely permissible as a genre. Like, like sort of... Um, the things you have to do to be a horror film are much looser genre tenants than basically any other 
type of film you could make. Like, there's a reason that, you know, Tucker and Dale versus Evil and Antichrist are both considered horror films. Like, they could not qualitatively be more different, but we consider them both the same thing. Mm. And what that told me, especially the more I was learning about it and the more I was, like, diving into it, was that if I, first and foremost, I genuinely love the genre. I, I just love being scared. And also, um, I I could basically do whatever I wanted. Mm-hmm. Like, like as long as there was a monster and there was blood and there was some reasonable uh, expectation of struggle, um, that you can do whatever, whatever you want. Like, <laughs> you can play around with it. And uh, that really appealed to me because I've just always been somebody that does not like... Uh, boxes <laughs> and so I, I liked that horror sort of gave me a unique opportunity to um you know see what the fuck that box could do because it, it's got a very weird shape mm-hmm. <laughs> um and so I, I think that at the end of the day that the ability to genuinely surprise people um and to just experiment in a space that could still possibly be seen that was still narrative that was not completely experimental um, that, that was just really appealing to me. Um, and I, that's my favorite thing every time I start a, uh, new horror script is I, I kind of don't know where it's gonna go, mm-hmm. uh, tonally especially. So, yeah. And, Gre- and it's just fun, honestly. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> um, and Greg, uh, again, do you, uh, do you have a specific type of role that, even if you're, you feel like you're typecasted as, but like, do you enjoy playing it? Do you have a proclivity for it? I don't mind. Let, let me just be clear that I don't really mind being typecast. Like I'm, I'm sure. an actor out in Los Angeles. That's like, just, I'm just trying to work, mm-hmm. you know? So if like someone, if I got no problem being typecast as like a blue collar white guy or like, you know, a typical New Yorker or like, you know, a young cop or something. Cause I'll play those roles, roles all day. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, I have, I grew up on movies or the movies that I really enjoyed were more like action, life or death, high drama, um, those kinds of movies. Uh, those are the things that I wanted to, I always wanted to act out other than like, like the Broadway musical stuff. I know Brendan's thinking about that right now and newsies and things Hell like yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> ah. Vel- Velocipass um, of the musical? Uh, do not, do not, uh, <laughs> do not give me good ideas on this podcast. Yeah. He already has it. He already has it in there. Um, yeah. But no, I mean, those are the things I like to gravitate towards um, mm-hmm. just because they're fun, you know, like they're just fun to do. Like the fact that I got to kind of be an action star in the Velocipaster with like, all the fight choreography that we had and like morphing into a dinosaur, like that was, that was really, really fun. And like, that's why it's so fun to share with audiences because like, uh, I, I had a really good time doing it and I'm, and I'm really proud of the work we all did. You know, it's like there, there's like, Oh, there's, there's kind of been a worry in any other project, not any other project, but there's always like a tinge of like, oh man, I hope they like it. Or like, I hope, I hope it's good enough. But like at this point where we've, how far we've come with this movie, it's like, 
we know what it is and we know that people are really enjoying it. And it's just like so fun to share with people because it was so fun to do. Well, let's get into the narrative of uh, the film, including uh, the uh, original trailer, which I know nothing about. Um, So, Brendan, could you walk us through, like, um, is this a film that the title came to you and then you wrote and then became a trailer, like a proof of concept trailer? Walk us through that narrative. Uh, Yeah. The short answer is yes. (laughs) (laughs) uh, So the the only incorrect thing in that statement is I didn't intend for it to be a proof of concept. Oh, okay. I just wanted to make it as a short film. Um, I, I just thought it would be fun. You know, like Grindhouse had just come out. Um, I, of course, love Tarantino and Rodriguez. They were both really big inspirations to me. And that was right in their sweet spot when they were both still doing, you know, really stellar work. So, you know, Grindhouse had come out. I was texting a friend about dinosaurs, as one does, and my phone autocorrected Velociraptor to Velocipaster. And, you know, me being like 19 years old and in film school and in love with Grindhouse, I was like, I don't know, sounds like a movie. (laughs) So we had to do a class assignment. We had to turn in just a, I honestly don't even remember the parameters of it. We just had to turn in a movie. And so I decided to shoot a fake Grindhouse trailer called the Velocipaster. And uh, that was supposed to be the end of the journey. I just thought it would be... Honestly, the thing that was going to be fun for me about that was um, experimenting on messing up the film manually. So I shot it on 16, and then I baked it in an oven, buried it in the ground, and scraped it over everything in my bathroom. <laughs> and then I developed it. And, and oh, it, looked, it looked really good. It worked. That's the grain wild. just popped out great. There were like one or two bits where I had to add digital scratches over because it just hadn't somehow hadn't got gotten scratched enough. But that was supposed to be the fun of the project. I figured I would experiment seeing what that would do with the film and then move on. Honestly, I didn't know if the oven would just make the film ruin it. I, I, I didn't even know if I would have a full movie. I figured that I could just you know, take the hit to my grade if need be. And at least it would have been a cool <laughs> lesson learned. <laughs> mm-hmm. But uh, what ended up happening is I cut the original trailer together and we put it out on YouTube and it, um, it, it went, uh, it, it went viral for me. Like, like when the rest of the videos on my channel had, you know, I don't know, 12 to 30 views, this one all of a sudden had like 45,000. So it, it was, obvious to me even at the time that there was some sort of audience for the movie uh and so yeah um the biggest difference between the trailer and the feature is of course that the trailer is intended i did not think about the story beyond like you know three minutes Mm -hmm. that was the whole film and so of course when it came time to expand it into a 75 minute feature uh I, I just needed to, you really needed to dig into what you had actually presented in the Grindhouse trailer. The biggest difference is that the original short does not have any mention of ninjas. They're, they are, they're out of sight and out of mind because that <laughs> didn't come until we adapted it into a feature. And, and why did you decide to adapt it into a feature? Because I couldn't. Initially... Go, no, go ahead. In, was it like initial initial interest because it went v- like viral for you, or was it because somebody was like, "You need to make that into a feature"? Yeah, well, it's funny. There, I did try to crowdfund it right after it it started getting all those hits, and it did not work out. 
And honestly, I just sort of chalked it up to, uh, well, you know, it didn't work out. I guess there wasn't the audience and moved on. I ended up making Animosity and, and all those other shorts, short films. And uh, when it came time to do a follow-up <clears throat> to Animosity, a very grim, dark horror film, uh, I just couldn't stop thinking about Velocipaster. <laughs> like, nobody told me to do it. And in fact, um, you know, from a career perspective, I made a... Uh, one movie and it was a grim dark horror film so it made almost no sense to jump to this but I honestly it had been a couple of years and I hadn't stopped coming up with ideas for Velocipaster so <laughs> I sort of bit back my more obvious impulses and and was like you know what obviously your heart wants to do this movie I don't know why but obviously it does <laughs> So you should just chase that. It would actually be more true to yourself as an artist to do that than to sort of, you know, push it away because you have pretensions of, of being, you know, making serious art film. Mm. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, it, it was just a, a decision to sort of move forward and, and follow my gut. That's great. And then, um, so you wrote it and then, um, set about trying to find investors or did you go about crowdfunding again or we did try to crowdfund again um it did not work again and and uh it you know i i'm just not a very big fan of crowdfunding in general some people can make it work mm -hmm. and i am just not one of those people i i just don't have that gene it's a full-time <laughs> so, job it truly is. And and honestly, it's a full-time job that I am just very uninterested in and mm -hmm. perform poorly at. So it's no great wonder to me that, that like, I am zero for five Kickstarters <laughs> um, and Indiegogos and Seed and Sparks and crowdfunding ventures whatsoever. Mm -hmm. uh, the one good thing about those crowdfunding ventures to try and get Velocipaster made is that is how I met Greg. Okay, I was going to ask. Um, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go, you go ahead, Brendan. Uh, we submitted to a company called Seed and Spark mm -hmm. that Greg happened to work at at the time, mm -hmm. and uh, we were looking for a lead actor. And Greg happened to know one of our other producers, so he reached out to that other producer, and relayed the information to me. And I sort of reacted with a with a shrug, where I, where I was kind of like, yeah, whatever, he can submit a tape if he wants. And lo and behold, the tape came through the email, and it was transcendently good. <laughs> so I, I immediately, we, you know, we met in Bryant Park a couple of days later to make sure we got along, and, and then it was pretty much, yeah, you're the Velocipaster. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I don't know, there was just something about there's just something about it. Like I just knew it the moment I double clicked on that video. I just felt it in my gut. So, mm -hmm. so yeah. Greg, Greg, tell me about making the video. Uh, you you knew the title. Had you read sides or a script? And if not, like what did you do in the tape? So, the I was at the LA office at Seed and Spark at the time. I was visiting Los Angeles. When I was working at Seed and Spark, I was usually in my you know, Brooklyn apartment doing what we're doing here today, talking to people on Skype, taking meetings on Skype with those guys and then meeting with like New York filmmakers and New York film collectives, things like that. Mm -hmm. um, and so it was rare that I got to like go out to LA and visit those guys. Uh, and I just happened to be there and the head of crowdfunding was like, guys, you know, made an announcement to the room. Um, a 
movie just submitted for funding called The Velocipaster. And uh, we all like got up from our seats, started laughing hysterically, went around to the page and started like looking up The Velocipaster. And sure enough, we came, we saw the the trailer that Brendan just talked about uh, mm-hmm. that he made in film school and how they were trying to make it into a feature. And I saw that I, so I watched the trailer and I loved it. I was like, this is rad. And then I knew the, one of the producers on it from working on a short project with him, uh, like a web series thing in New York. Um, he directed one of my, ep- one of the episodes. Um, so I had a direct line of contact to him already. So I reached out to him. I said, are you guys casting this? Because I would love to, uh, be a part of it in any way. I was just trying to work. And like, mm-hmm. this is something that was like, I thought was really fun. And I, I was like, I can do this. And, uh, sure enough, they were casting the lead role. And then they sent me sides. And then I was like, I read the two scenes and I was like, oh, shit. Like, this is actually good. Like, it's written. <laughs> it's written well. I was like, this, you know, when you get sides that are like really simple, but there's a lot to work with, um, it's fun. Mm-hmm. So uh, I had a friend help me put it on tape. Um, it's just what you do. And then submitted it. Uh, and, you know, the scenes that we did... They weren't the scenes that I read in the sides ended up not there weren't really like different from how they were ended up in the film. I was just doing it with the actual actors. Right. The, one yeah. was with one was with um, Dan Steer, um, Brendan's father. Right. And then the other one, yeah. was with, one, the other one was with Carol was with the uh, was we right the after the first transformation. Yes, 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 yes. Which, like, they were, I'm sure they were exponentially better because they were, you know, I haven't watched the audition tape in a little while, but. Um, I haven't either. I bet yeah. I could find it. And I have it. I still, I still have it. On... Should have put that. Yeah. Yep, yep. Put that. <laughs> on the Blu ray. Yeah. Yeah. Hell yeah. Um, <clears throat> well, uh, if it's cool, like, moving forward, I'd love to spoil the movie because there's things I want to talk yeah. about. Okay. Yeah, for sure. Out, yeah. Uh, it's so, out. It's on them at this point. I know. Well, I, I, I watched it. I watched it this morning, um, and I just have questions that me as a filmmaker wants to know. Um, which <laughs> you got it. We'll get to. Um, but uh, to start, um, <clears throat> so what was after Greg was cast? Was was Greg the first cast? I know you'd worked with uh, Alyssa before, correct? Yeah. Um, and I guess if you're technically speaking, I, I did write Carol for her. Okay. So I, I guess I cast her first. There were, we discussed it as people, but I didn't have her audition or anything. Like I knew that she would be good for the role. Mm-hmm. Um, basically every other member of the cast is a friend <laughs> or a family member. Mm-hmm. Um, so the casting process was more, it was less auditions and more just me reaching out to people and being like, yo, Dave, you were my roommate back in college. You want to play like a soldier in Vietnam in the Velocipaster? <laughs> <laughs> and um, almost <laughs> unanimously, the answer was yes. It, you would, uh, it's funny. Some people have asked Greg and Alyssa on this on the circuit, like if they were worried or, or if they worried about like Velocipaster hurting their career. Um, and I want to say to you all those said, people that... You just said, what career? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, and I will say that literally everyone I asked almost universally responded with, oh, hell yeah, that sounds great. So, so it, it it has provoked almost the opposite response in, in the people you actually want on set. But um, yeah, the, I, I'd say the only other 
real casting coup was uh, my dad as Father Stewart. Uh, I cast him assuming he would be terrible. And he turned out to be really goddamn good in the movie mm-hmm. and uh, surprised everybody, including myself. Uh, I cast him mostly for that mustache, which also <laughs> delivers. <laughs> um, you didn't test wigs on different people or? <laughs> no, no, no. That was the one. <laughs> I love it. Um, that's great. Well, um, so then what was uh, what was your pre-production schedule? Did you have just a plethora of time while you were trying to find money for the project? Or um, was it pretty like, we have the money, we have to go now? Oh, no, we had years. Okay. Um, it, it was, <clears throat> once we finally got the money, it, it actually came through in like winter or, or like late fall. Um, and so we had to wait to shoot in Pennsylvania until at least spring broke because it was always my intention for it to be this sort of sun-soaked summer movie. Uh, so they, we actually had, um, <clears throat> a, an embarrassment of prep time, uh, because even after we got the money, um, you know, we had to wait out like almost three seasons. So, uh, we just, we just planned, I storyboarded and we moved forward and we put everything in motion. Mm-hmm. And what was the schedule like once you guys, uh, hammered down some days, how long did you guys shoot for and, um, and kind of like how, um, how long were days, those kinds of things? Yeah, uh, we shot for 13 days. I want to say it was it was between 12 and 14. I, I'm not remembering with the weekend days. Because uh, we would take Sundays off, and uh, the shoots would primarily... They didn't usually hit 12 hours. Like, every, every time you do a film that's the sort of the base understanding is you're going to be in in any given place for 12 hours um i think we only ended up having one 12 hour day with with like a tiny bit of overtime um and that was the final fight day Mm. and we needed to do that because um there was only one day we had been rained out so we had stuff we had to tack on to the end of it and it was our last day in pennsylvania before we moved to new york so like we had to had to get those scenes and, uh, you know, you just you apologize to everybody and you ask if they're willing to stay and uh, everybody did. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, that was um, it was actually a very, a very smooth shoot, I, I would say. How big was the crew? Small. Well, one of the things I had learned from Animosity was that um, on the level we're working at, you don't need that big of a crew. And in fact, it becomes a liability mm-hmm. because people start lazing around. They start feeling unwanted and unneeded and you start having dissent. Um, and so for Velocipastor, it was a purposeful decision to go with a small crew. I would say, I'm, I'm trying, I'm like counting off their names in my head. Yeah. I want to say that there were about f- five people, wow. five to five to seven people on set. I would say not counting talent and, um, you know, with a couple more people at base camp kind of running hair and makeup and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, what was shot where? Where did, What did you guys shoot in New York versus Pennsylvania? Uh, New York stuff is all of Carol's apartment. Um, my brother had an apartment in right outside of New York at the time. Um, and a lot of the actors lived in New York and all of the crew. Uh, I think we did one day on the streets there. And the rest yeah. of it was just trying to get um, all the stuff in her apartment. Uh, so not much. Um, the rest of the stuff that takes place sort of in 
whatever town they live in is mm-hmm. in uh, Stroudsburg, Pennsylvania. Okay, so the church and all that, Pennsylvania. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Yeah, very, very little of the movie uh, was shot in New York. 90%, uh, not that much, but I'd say a, a solid two-thirds is PA. Gotcha. Um, well, uh, there's there's lots of little moments that I have questions about. Um, uh, I guess based on, like, uh, your both, both your budget as well as, like, what was planned and what wasn't. So, yeah. like, things like, um, at the very beginning, the VFX shot missing... Yeah. Um, were were little moments like that planned? Had you like initially just thought like we'll get this or this is in the script, and then you had to be creative in post or? Um, for the most part, they were planned. Okay. Um, the overwhelming majority were. Uh, this, ironically, the VFX shot in specific was not. Um, I, we actually had the money to go get it. (laughs) Uh, people, people assume we didn't, but we had the money and we had the time. And I, the more I would test screen it for people, the more I was like, that's the first time they laugh. Mm -hmm. And it's such a beautiful illustration of the ethos of the movie you're Mm -hmm. about to watch that I, I thought actually after a while it would, um, it would just be stronger if we kept it as a title card. It's funnier. And in, in this movie, it's like chase the fun, chase the laughs, and the rest of it just kind of falls into place. Um, I'm trying to think if there were any like real um, changes we had to make because of a technical uh, thing. Um, and I, no, not really. What I a- mean, things always end up looking a little different than you had envisioned. So sometimes sure. you just incorporate those, but yeah. Um, is okay, Greg. Is it actually mm-hmm. you in the suit? Um, no, I tried. I tried. Okay. I tried getting in the suit. He did. Um, and I almost ripped it because of you know my my build at the time. Mm. Um, yeah, that didn't work out. I tried. <laughs> did you? I I going into the movie, I was like, I'm gonna be in the suit the entire time. Uh-huh. But man, it is a, a challenging. It is a challenging thing to get in that suit. It is basically like being suffocated by memory foam mattress or like egg foam mattress egg crate mattress and like not being able to see anything and being in like um uh like side torso bend with your hand your arms straight over your head uh trying to like (laughs) be be the mouth of the dinosaur yeah it's pretty (laughs) accurate it sounds horrible but you know who is in the suit no, Corey. No, Brendan Steer. <laughs> Brendan Steer. Oh, what up, New York? Wow. <laughs> so, um, Corey. It, it, it is uh, the other person is my brother. My brother is also in the suit for the rest of it because we looked. We had similar enough builds, and we were both expendable. So, um, so yeah, that is me. I think that Zach ended up doing a little more of it than I did. Um, Zach did. Zach did most of it, and like yeah. that final fight scene was taxing to the point yes. where it's like heat exhaustion and oh, like oh. you know vertigo and everything not really having your bearings oh, yeah. whatsoever so yeah. zach had to come out take a rest and we were losing light and i tried to jump in almost ripped the thing to shreds so that was no good we tried another uh pa that was on set um that was a little bit smaller didn't work brendan goes Fuck it, we're losing light. Strips his pants off, goes in in his boxers, and does the rest of the scene. 
<laughs> like a fucking champion. <laughs> it so was you... a do or die moment, and I knew I fit in the suit, so I, I had to do it. So beyond writer, director, editor, and producer, you're also credited, or maybe not credited, but you should be as as <laughs> Velociraptor in suit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I th- yep. That is. Uh, don't ever let it be said that this movie is not a passion project. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, and obviously you had to make the suit and things like that. So that stuff was planned. Uh, we did not make the suit for this movie. The suit existed in my parents' basement from 2008 when I was in high school. When <laughs> I had Pennsylvania tax dollars pay for it, so our high school film club could shoot a dinosaur movie. Uh, which we did not shoot, and they did not ask for the suit back. And uh, so it was designed for a 15 to 16 year old kid. Uh, <laughs> and that probably explains a lot. <laughs> um, uh, in the script, was it written, well, in your head, was it written yeah. to be this big VFX moment? Or were you always thinking, no, I'm going to have a dude in the suit? Oh, it was always a dude in the suit. Okay. Um, <laughs> I, I never has to be. for it one has second. To be considered cgi for it well because it's a you're making a werewolf slash creature feature like that's the bones of the story you're telling and i love those movies and the only time i don't love those movies is when they bitch out and go for either a really shitty cgi monster or it's um you know just something uncreative Mm -hmm. the whole point of a monster movie is to enjoy the monster and Mm -hmm. that can only happen if it is something that a physical thing that you can point a camera at and make a movie with, um, in my opinion. So I knew from moment one that it was going to be a physical suit situation. I wasn't a hundred percent sure if we were going to use the same suit at first, but mm-hmm. after a while I, I just kind of embraced it and I was like, yeah, <laughs> I mean, look at it. It's, it's just so goofy and non-threatening. <laughs> I was sort of like, it's it's just amazing. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, now, uh, Greg, earlier you mentioned there's a lot of, and we're talking about that scene anyways, so a lot of choreography. Um, what was your guys' like prep time for that? Or um, did you guys have any time to do any of that at all? Or was it all kind of on the day? Uh, that was on the day. Wow. It was like, uh, I, I've had, I've done that stuff before, like in on stage and, um, yeah, like mostly on stage, actually, I've taken some classes in New York that was just like fight choreography and stage combat. Uh, and I've had to do some like, uh, pretty like long, like fight scenes on stage that Mm -hmm. were like, that stuff is so fun. I don't know if you've ever done that, but it is so fun to do. Um, and so we had, uh, a fight choreographer come in that is a, uh, owns his own martial artist, uh, martial arts dojo. Uh, he's, uh, like a world-class break dancer. Um, and really just a solid dude. His name is, uh, Ryan Napalm Wagner. That is his, his street name, uh, if you will. Um, and, uh, but he is like, he came in and just like made it, uh, was like super collaborative like kind of just wanted to see what how we moved and what we were able to do. Uh, and then just him and his guys were just like, here's how it's going to go. Uh, the first fight scene where they like come into Carol's bedroom, that was like, you know, all, that was all them. They're like jumping through windows and stuff. Like it was awesome. Mm-hmm, and like yeah. uh, just made it really 
I don't want to say easy, but like, uh, I, I, I guess like the hardest part of that was for like, I don't know, maybe you could speak to this, Brendan, like, I don't know, what, what's it like filming something like that in a small ask. room, you know? You, I remember you guys being up on like a ladder or like, yeah. wasn't there like a crawl space that the camera yeah, that was like, we, sitting like, in? Yeah, snuggled Jesse into, yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I can tell you that for this film in specific, uh, you sh we shot on a lot of long lenses for that stuff. I wanted to... Um, wanted to mimic those sort of Bruce Lee movies and and so I watched a lot of them and they very rarely is the camera really in the action the way we shoot action most of the time today they really wanted to sort of show you the athleticism of him it was much more about that than like feeling the visceral sensation of it so we we shot on a lot of long lenses and from a lot of a little ways back mm. um I thought this would accomplish two things one mimic the style of those kung fu movies and also, especially with the ending fight, maybe make it look a little cheaper. <laughs> like, <laughs> completely just show your hand and be like, yeah, these are guys standing in a backyard. Because <laughs> like, I thought that would be part of the charm of it. Uh -huh. um, in terms of the actual days of the shooting of it, uh, you just got to run it a lot. Because, yeah. you know, it's a lot of complicated movement. And because you're not shooting in that very up-close, cutty style, you can't really fake it they have to get part of the movement right otherwise you can't really use the take maybe you can salvage part of it somewhere but they you know it they they have to nail it and that often takes um you know a couple a couple of takes everybody has to get warmed up mm -hmm. then you get one good take and and then somebody's like i know i can do it better so um yeah it's just a lot of shooting 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 it's almost like doing a music video because, of mm. course, you're not really recording dialogue or anything. Mm. Um, you get the sound, but there's sort of an understanding that the sound matters less here because there are going to be more sound effects. Um, yeah, it's an interesting thing. I hadn't ever really filmed fight scenes before. Not like that. And, uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun, actually. What surprised me about it um, was that I kept worrying about Greg and Alyssa and the ninjas getting tired. And they just kept getting more and more amped. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and that was what sort of surprised me, is the longer you went, the better the takes got. It was almost like they were learning a dance or something. It was very cool. That's really what it was, is like dance and steps and just putting it together, choreography. Goes back to Newsies, Brendan. It goes back, goes to, back newsies, to Newsies. Right? You've done it. You've yep. done it. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, no, I love that. That's, that's cool. And also impressive that uh, you're able to kind of work it out on the day and then also while they're working it out, figure out how to shoot it, but also keep it within the delicate balance that the the movie is. I mean, for me, yeah. the tone is so, like, um, specific. <laughs> like, yeah. Um, yeah, it is. So I guess um, well, one question would be, uh, did you guys, um, was it clear to all of the actors what the tone was at the beginning? Like, Greg, was it clear to you... Um, just based on the script or did you guys need to go and watch movies and talk about that? Um, it was clear. It was, it got clearer to me. I mean, it's what the tone of it is what attracted me to it in the first place. Absolutely. Just like the, the, the playfulness of the title, the playfulness of the trailer and, um, and then meeting Brendan, the playfulness of the sides in the audition, and then meeting Brendan and then seeing how much deeper it goes mm -hmm. and uh, how much more fun 
there was to have with it, that's when I was like, oh, like now I, that's when the tone started to really sink in for me and we really get start, started getting on the same page. And yes, you know, Brendan provided a bunch of movie references to watch, um, uh, soundtracks, visuals of like the arc of, you know, Doug the priest to Doug the, you know, murderous vigilante. Um, <laughs> yeah, it, it was just, uh, it was just a lot of fun. And I will say that like in terms of the crew, like we all took public transportation to a bus station in Pennsylvania to get picked up for shooting. And um, I just remember Kurt, our, Kurt was a grip, right? Is that he was what? a gaffer. Gaffer, gaffer. That's, yeah. Kurt um, and Frankie, the guy who plays Frankie Mermaid, Fernando, um, we were all like the last ones at the bus station to get picked up. Like that weren't <laughs> just like people visiting their family. Mm-hmm. So we all kind of like, you know, under this like dim light at like, 11 p.m. at night, we all kind of like scurried over to each other and we're like, so are you guys here for a movie called The Velocipaster? And they were, we all were just like, yes, yes, we're here for that. And like, oh, now I know what we're doing. This is going to be fucking awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Um, and uh, what kind of, uh, what things inspired that tone, I guess? Because there's a lot of like, um, I, I'm reminded of like, black dynamite and things like that where it's like this conscious effort which i think is really difficult actually to make um what would maybe be considered like bad filmmaker choices um, right in in everything from uh both the writing to the construction of that edit so zooming Mm -hmm. in on greg's face when he's saying what or yes like um there's one specific edit where you fade to a really, <laughs> it's maybe my favorite part of the movie, uh, and it's throwaway, but uh, yeah. a, you fade to a shot of the moon <laughs> that's so strangely exposed that it's hardly registered like the moon. Yep. Um, but I I just had this vision that that was maybe something that you just went, maybe I'll throw this in there. Like Those kinds of things. Like yeah. what? What inspired those decisions and how many of them were planned and, and how many of them did you come up with afterwards, you know? Yeah. Um, definitely black dynamite was a huge influence. Okay. Um, I adore that film and I, I, I made, that is one of the few films I made every one of the key players watch Mm -hmm. where I was like, this is what we want to do. We want to do it a little differently, but this is ballpark it, um, tonally. And I will also say the other huge influence on it was this show called uh, Garth Marenghi's Dark Place. Uh, I don't know if you've ever seen it, but it takes... It's a very similar idea where it's like doing a pastiche of a thing and it is purposefully bad, but it takes it to another level as well where you realize that it is actually a very well-made show about how egomaniacal and bizarre the people who made this fake show are. Like, they start incorporating, like, plot points from their real lives that you just know are working their way into the fiction. Right. <laughs> and it's it's just really clever and just very, very funny. Um, that was made by uh, Richard Ayoade, the, the guy who went on to do The Double and Submarine. He's an incredible filmmaker yeah. and just a very funny person. Um, and those two were really where I was mining a lot of the tone from. And honestly, also, um, you know, sounds a little odd to, to say it like this, but the tone I wanted to hit 
was the feeling of my memories watching these bad films when mm. I was a kid. Like, it, it, I wanted it to sort of feel like you were watching, you know, uh, one of these films for the first time, and you could experience that joy and surprise at just, like, the fact that the movie was sort of breaking in front of your eyes. <laughs> um, I will say that in, in terms of what I found in editing in, in a very real way... Um, is the uh, the sex scene montage mm. that that was maybe the one the one big scene in the movie that I didn't have a huge I, I knew what I how I wanted it to function but I didn't know how exactly I was going to execute that mm -hmm. so um, it seems like rest, you just had room to play yes very much so and so just on the day you know I just shot a lot of footage and and I knew I trusted myself enough to know that I, once I cut the rest of the film together, I would know how that sequence had to be. And uh, so, yeah, that, that was one of the biggest things I found in, in editing. Um, and just sort of, you know, the rhythm of gags will change with the edit. Part of the reason I edited it myself was because the tone is so specific yeah. that I thought it would be genuinely... I. I I was afraid that I could not articulate it enough to an editor. Um, and so I decided to, uh, I, I knew I was a good comedy editor, and so I decided to do it myself. And what, you know, what's funny on set is different from what's funny when the camera sees it. Like at the very end of Frankie, um, you know, Frankie Mermaid getting getting killed in the confession booth, the cinematographer swung over to Greg's face <laughs> and it was not planned. And Greg, is, that is a very, very real Greg Cohen reaction. <laughs> and when I was watching the footage back, it was just so funny. <laughs> it, it just, it, it was immediately like, like this scene of gore and everything. And then you cut to an actor going, whoa, buddy. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, it's, and, yeah. And so you have to keep it in. I it's did, I did love me. that. Yeah. And well, it makes the cut to Alyssa funny within itself. Mm -hmm. Like, because it's almost like the editor panicked and didn't realize and had to get out. I, I don't know. It's it's finding the jokes in even kind of banal footage mm -hmm. um, that may, in fact, be a mistake. Uh, there, I remember in their argument in the woods, Greg walks into a fucking branch at one point <laughs> in the middle of the scene. And I just thought it was funny. So I kept it in the movie. And then it just keeps going forwards. Yeah. And that um, moment gets the laughs too, which is great. I love stuff yeah. like that. It's yeah, just yeah. keeping it's embracing those small mistakes if they support the larger tone and narrative. Yeah, yeah. and and not apologizing for it. Mm -hmm. Like like I think that was an important thing with this film is like, you know, obviously we did not have a big budget and there's two things you can do with that, which is try and desperately hide it or you just step out and declare, yeah, we're a low budget movie. Like mm -hmm. this is what it is. Yeah. And I think in that sense, the film becomes sort of a, a, a weird... Uh, I think the f part of the fun of the film for people is that thing, like I said before, of kind of seeing movies break in front of your eyes. Mm -hmm. It's fun. It's playful. We like... We see so many things that are just so glossy and perfect and, and you know, focus grouped and, and go through 15 different edits that I think sometimes it's really refreshing to see something that was so obviously thrown together by like 10 scrappy people. Mm. Um, and I think that's part of the appeal of the film. It is for me at least. Well, totally. And, and what, what was, you said you had a ton of time beforehand, but what was the turnaround on post? Like how quickly before 
it was done and you were like, you know what? I could maybe make this 10% better if I kept going, but it's done. Right. Um, a I want to say like two ish months. Okay. Um, I, the edit came together very fast. The, the aforementioned love scene was the one that took the longest to really get right. Um, but because we had had all that prep time in, in pre-pro, I, the film was very meticulously storyboarded, believe it or not. Mm -hmm. And so all those scenes, the edits of most of those scenes came together very fast. Um, throw on a couple extra months for, uh, you know, um, musical score and, and post sound. And then it was pretty much done. We premiered uh, early 2017, and I want to say we shot in, like, May 2016. So, mm -hmm. yeah, pretty fast turnaround. Cool. Very cool. Well, do you guys, either of you, do either of you have any, like, favorite stories from set that we didn't touch on? You take this one, buddy. <laughs> Me? Oh, man. Oh, now I'm on the spot. Favorite <laughs> stories from set. Um, there were... Um, oh golly! I do oh. got one. I do got one. Go, Brendan. Uh, yeah, uh, we lost a lens. <laughs> that was that uh, was the one I was yeah, like. That's so, your story. Yeah. So, um, we had been shooting in the woods <clears throat> in the middle of Pennsylvania, and it had rained overnight. And we were at the house, um, a location the next day, and our AC comes up to us, and he's like, "I can't find the 35." And it was like vintage glass. That lens probably street cost was, Christ, 50000 60000 Like more than our movie for sure. Goodness. And we had insurance and stuff, but it was, you know, the, the stakes were very real that it was get this lens back or the movie is done. Mm. And we were only about halfway done at that point. So <laughs> um, my cinematographer and I elected to tell no one. Uh, we made up an excuse that we were going to go to KFC for lunch, and we scrambled back to the previous location and tore through the woods desperately. Because <laughs> I, I didn't want to incite a panic. You can't just turn to the crew and be like, hey, guys, we might all have to go home tomorrow and uh, have a good lunch. <laughs> right. um, so what ended up happening is the homeowner's, like, sophomore in high school son found it. It was sitting on a log, and it was fogged up and completely pristine and uh it was just one of the most cathartic moments of my entire life <laughs> to be dead honest with you to, to just find it sitting there and and realize that the movie was in fact back on because of course during that entire drive there my brain was just spinning with contingency plans mm -hmm. like what do you do how do you move forward after that right. and so yeah that was wild that was basically one of the few things on set that very much went wrong and we managed to pull victory from the jaws of defeat. <laughs> Goodness. Yeah, nerve-wracking, I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, any other things that went horribly wrong? Now I'm curious. Not not as many as people expect, uh, genuinely. It was a, everybody got along. It was a super smooth shoot. Mm -hmm. um, I, I, I always tell people that there was no moment that no one, that at least one person on the crew didn't want to be there. Everyone yeah. always wanted to be there we were never like oh this day's taking so long it was never like that we were always on board we were always like just really having a good ass time like yeah. ha having fun um, bizarrely so it was yeah. very weird i've been on a lot of film sets and i've never been on one that felt that loving and fun hmm. and enjoyable one of my one of one of the moments that i knew i think it was the first shot that we did 
that I knew it was going to be fun was the first shot where we did like a flashback of Doug and his mother and father laughing at the kitchen table. And those two actors were on set for a day. They didn't read the whole script. They have no idea (laughs) what the tone is. They had no clue. And like, they are, we were just like, okay, so just like laugh at the table, like hysterically. And just like, we'll record, you know, three minutes of it and just don't stop. And we'll just like crescendo and decrescendo and then like pick it up. And like, every time we cut, or if we cut, we would just like, someone behind the camera would die laughing that was just we knew right away that like this is this is gonna be great it was it was a mercy that from literally the first shot i knew the movie would work Hmm. because it it, the first shot we got was that pan up the the reveal if you will and it was so funny in the camera that literally the moment i got out of cut um every Everyone behind me burst into laughter. Like, and yeah. this, these were strangers to me. Like, I didn't know anybody. Well, I mean, I knew them, some of them individually, but mm-hmm. there were other members of the crew that were brought on by friends or like, and it was such a bonding moment where I think everyone in the room, I think that was like the moment that won everyone over. Yeah. Um, and it, we were very, very fortunate that that was literally day one, scene one, take one, shot one. Like, it, it was, we were just very lucky with that. And I can't speak to, uh, Brendan's other films, but for this film, uh, he and and I'll speak on behalf of Jesse, the Jesse Goldsberry, the cinematographer and DP. He doesn't. He wasn't yelling cut, so we would just kind of like go until someone like couldn't stop, couldn't hold it in, or couldn't hold in a laugh, and that was like okay, that's when we cut. You know, it was just like we just had the kind of the free reign in those comedic moments. You know, if it was a dramatic moment, it would be like, all right, we need, let's reset. But like those comedic moments were, were kind of left to just go as far as you can. until I remember there were times where it was just like, like even in the, one of the opening scenes where I say, uh, I, and I saw it last night in the screening where I say, um, travel, but to where? And then, uh, where what is it where God won't follow and yeah yeah uh, and you guys zoomed in on my face and like I just keep my eyes just like keep getting bigger and like, <laughs> oh, like just go like as far as you can go with your face as far as your face will stretch and then like yep. we'll, we'll go we'll do what we need to do in the edit but just go to till you can't go anymore <laughs> yeah well I you know what the funny thing is is I always just kind of wanted to see what you guys would do. <laughs> Like there was always like an obvious beat where the scene ended and then Jesse would start like trying to pan to something because he <laughs> thought the scene was still on. And like it it just led to so much gold of, of like, yeah, yeah, it was it was always very amusing to me to see how actors tried to get themselves out of the scene, especially <laughs> when it was very much like, OK, <laughs> it, it was just always funny to me, so. Um, yeah, no, I love that. Um, so I guess how was, um, how was the premiere and how has the reception been since it came out? Um, it's just been sort of a growing, like, like the, the screenings we did before it kind of went viral on the internet and after have been uh, an interesting compare and contrast, um, because it, it's pretty much been universally beloved at every screening, at least the ones that I attended. 
Um, mm-hmm. There was just a palpable sense of fun that people were having with it. Um, especially early on, I think it was a lot of more like, you know, just people that were um, just happened to be attending the festival and saw the name on the program and thought it sounded... Uh, definitely after it sort of hit, people were showing up for the movie. Mm-hmm. People were showing up for the movie again. And, like, it, it, it really has just been an, an overwhelming and moving uh, display of how much people love the work we did. It, it's, yeah. it's been very touching. Um, and-, and fun. It, it's just so fun to see how much joy you can bring to these people mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and that you can all share it together in a theater while watching a priest turn into a dinosaur. <laughs> mm-hmm. So yeah, it's been, and, a, it's been quite a journey. And now that it's out there, now that it's like available, it, it feels like so long ago, but like mm-hmm. now that it's available, which is crazy um, to Ill, still even think about um, like our inner circle of people know about it and they're watching it and they're loving it and then they're sharing it and people are reviewing it now uh so now like people who follow different horror sites or like dread central or bloody disgusting or you know any other blog or podcast the people that follow those sites are now learning about it and just to even like there are still people who don't know about it like Corey is at a wedding in connecticut this weekend and she's like, why is he? And all the people that are there are like, oh, where's your husband? Why is your husband here? And she's like, oh, his movie is screening in Los Angeles. It's the Los Angeles premiere. What movie is it? Oh, it's about a priest that turns into a dinosaur. It's called The Velocipaster. And like, they're all like, are you fucking serious? They're having a screening tonight in Connecticut after oh, the wedding. Oh, hell yeah. And like, oh, yeah. That's great. It's people, people are still learning about it. And so yeah. like any opportunity that, Anyone who loves, anyone who's listening to this or any of your fans, Zach, like mm-hmm. anyone you know, people who like this movie, like share it with your friends because you're really just sharing, uh, you're really just sharing joy at the end of the day yeah. and fun. And like the world needs a little bit more of that. So. Hmm. Hell yeah. Um, well, cool. Is, is there any, um, is there anywhere else people should go to follow you or that people can find the movie on demand and kind of everywhere, but uh, yeah. specifically to follow either of you, where can people go? They can follow the film on Twitter and Instagram at at the Velocipaster as one word. Um, and I myself am at at Brendan Steer. So they are more than welcome to come and read my various strange thoughts about whatever the hell I'm binge watching this week. So <laughs> uh, that that's all I got. Yeah, and I'm at Greg Cohan. Uh, so you can follow me there. And uh, most of the stuff right now is Velocipaster, uh, and it will be for a little while, but. Um, you know, we're just excited to share it. So, yeah. uh, and we're excited to see the fans either buying the DVD, receiving their DVD in the in the mail, or renting it on any of the streaming services available. Uh, so, yeah, post that stuff and tag us. Definitely. Well, guys, thank you so much for joining me. This has been amazing, and also uh, it just makes me want to go watch it again. So yeah, awesome. <laughs> thank you, thank you. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, this is a good one, Zach. Thanks, man. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. Hey, guys. Just want to remind you that not only can you find the Full Frame Podcast on HMD's website, www.hmdfilms.com, but you can find us on Facebook, and most importantly, you can find us on iTunes, where we would really like if you could leave a review and subscribe. Thanks. Have a great week.